Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett. And for this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the newly released Amazon documentary, Arsenal All or Nothing. episode five then and the second episode of last week's batch was a lot more positive than the second episode of this week's batch we had the north london derby in this little segment last week and unfortunately we start off this time with edu and the directors sitting around discussing how they're going to deal with the abamyang issue the first thing i noticed was i quite like that edu has all the old team photos on his wall that was something that i kind of <laughs> remembered <laughs> remembered how he has got this job ultimately and i think this is the first time we see richard garlic mm. who the narrator just refers to as rich the whole way through um in the daniel the types yeah well, i thought it was interesting to hear from him something that i think does come across is if you didn't know where he came from he worked as one of the uh chiefs in the premier league so essentially the position he has at Arsenal, he had at the top of the Premier League and he went from working with the Premier League to working at Arsenal. So much like Edu, he does seem to know how to talk his way out of a situation or at least just how to sell certain situations. And I think that does come across across this next episode. Yeah, I, I can't say I was convinced by the guy, I'll be honest. I thought he was a bit of a charlatan. Yeah, um, you've, you've got him and Edu essentially just trying to sell whatever direction they think they're going in in that moment. Because they see, yeah, yeah, you're actually, they seem to be just having the same conversation about Abami just over and over, but nothing's actually said or decided. They just keep going sort of like, we need to come up, at one point, I think this is the third or fourth time we've seen them in conversation when he says this, and he goes, we need to come up with solutions, this isn't going away. You seem to be praying it is just going to go away. <laughs> You're not yeah. actually doing anything. They keep sort of just sitting around going, yeah, something's got to be done with it. So, oh, you're supposed to be deciding, lads. You're, you're the ones in, in charge here. We start the episode pretty early on in January because this Man City game was literally New Year's Day. Mm. Um, the thing, and I think you referenced it in the last episode that we did, Edu and the board thinking they could reintegrate Aubameyang was just mind-blowing to me. I... I couldn't believe this was ever on the table from how it appeared from the outside. And they do seem, that does seem to be their preferred option. And they do seem to have to be dissuaded away from this. It seems like essentially what we don't see is they at least float the idea to Arteta several times. And the, the times we do see it is they kind of say, I mean, of course we can't just bring Aubameyang back in, can we? And they just wait for Arteta to just yeah. confirm that. Yeah, I thought it really, um, I thought the whole situation really brought home and demonstrated Arteta's power. And ultimately, they're going to defer to him as well because they seemingly were either unable or unwilling to make a decision. And it was clearly Arteta's, I think, force of personality that says, look, we'll, we'll get rid of him then. Yeah, I don't know if this is how it came across to you. I felt like Edu was constantly trying to distance himself from that decision. He kept constantly yes. saying, obviously, this is. Uh, Mikel's decision and I understand why he's doing it and it's my job to ensure that happens He, I think he even says at one point that this isn't my preferred decision yeah 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 
yeah, it seems to be probably twofold as well, but his whole thing is his popularity, so he doesn't want to make an unpopular decision. And also, look, if this goes badly wrong, I can pin it on him rather than myself. Yeah, also, once again, describing as a great survivor does does seem to be doing the job. Um, yeah. But it feels like, as you said, they do just kind of expect it to go away. But it, at least from what we see, they weren't proactive at all in this situation. They just assumed someone was going to come in and take Aubameyang off their hands on perfect terms. Yeah, which is weird. But then they um, they flip flop for that very quickly because then Edu, which is very much kind of spells out his philosophy for us because right on when it comes to deadline day, there's two options: loan or we terminate his contract. <laughs> so that probably <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be your only two options, son. But that's where you're at. Very quickly realize there isn't a market for it, but they kind of just give up on that very quickly. Yeah, we have a, a bit of training and we have the forest game mm. just after this. So Arteta comes in, and I'll ask you whether you think he actually had the names or if he was pulling a Brendan. I, I wrote down here, why did he put them in envelopes? <laughs> he, he says there were four players that didn't train well enough. He said there was a small group that trained really well a large group that trained well, and there was a group of players that if he'd been there after 15 minutes, he would have sent them home. (laughs) Now, I know several of the players that you hear aren't good trainers. I would probably put Lacazette in that mix. (laughs) Smith Rowe would probably be another one. Yeah. From what we've seen previously, Tavares would probably be another one. And I think that probably contributes to why he's taken off in the Forest game as bad as he was. I don't know who the fourth one would be. From what the keepers are away from everyone else, so it's not going to be Ramsdale. Holding doesn't seem like his style. I know if, if I had to single out who I thought the best trainers would probably be, Look, they tell us Martinelli and White. I'm going to speak yeah. about White in the next episode. Tierney, they say in the la- in last week's episode that he's, I think they use the same analogy, trains every day like it's the Champions League final. Saka and Erdegaard don't strike me as ones that are going to be slacking off. And I feel the way the manager speaks about them would mean that they yeah. train yeah. like that. So maybe it's just someone lesser down in the pecking order. I'm not too sure, but... Pepe. Yeah, may, that may, that may be the case, actually, <laughs> because uh, he has had issues with him as well. So, yeah, if, even if there are four, maybe four is enough where people can be looking around and it's a large enough number where they can look at themselves and go, I could actually be in that. That's how and, I felt. I thought that was probably it. And then we get this big team talk from Arteta before the Nottingham Forest game where it's kind of how... I've always thought managers should speak to their players before one of these games where it's essentially show them who we are and who they are. And it just so happens that a selection of the players he picked, Kalasanach being the one who I've forgotten existed and was like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) A selection of them shouldn't have been anywhere near this team and Nottingham Forest was their level. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty brutal one wasn't it 
because obviously we know obviously going in what what happens and you were looking at some of these faces going Christ yeah they shouldn't have been there because this cup tie was not for them yeah I think you can really look at the growth of Eddie not physically but when you see the chance he missed and they don't show I don't think he had that chance he missed against Everton as well didn't he the back post at the end of the game they didn't show that did they no no, but they showed him missing this one, and they say he's only scored five at this point, which I don't know what they were expecting, to be honest. I was going to say, that, that isn't an awful return at that point for him. It was League Cup, but that was all he was really playing in. Mm. But they really do drive that point home. And you look at him now, and even in the 10 minutes against Crystal Palace, he's just got such a renewed energy to him. And he did always say, give me a run in the team, and I'll show what I can do. And look, fair play. Um I don't think he was one of the ones that was training poorly either, if we listen to what Arteta was saying about him. Well, during the standoff in the contract uh, last year. But after the game, he's what, slamming? It, it was in the trailer, isn't it? If I lose a duel, then, I, then I'm pissed off, I'm upset. This is shit. He really wants to throw that kit bag slash trolley thing. It's too big. <laughs> but he doesn't back himself, does he? So he goes, right, I can't. And then... It ends with Tierney saying, if we play like that against Liverpool, we're fucked. Yeah, I don't know why I got really excited by that. Like, I didn't know <laughs> what happened. In <laughs> we, I didn't really know that it didn't really fit into any particular slot, but we actually hear from Tim Lewis after this, who I spoke about last week and said, you just see him popping up in the background, but he made his way on screen. It was which, like... Which is this? What does he do? So he's the guy, he's he's a white guy, he's balding and he's on, he's one of the directors and he's the guy that says he has a little chat with Arteta at a dining table and he says he's there to hear from Arteta, to offer him counsel and ultimately put in place what he asked to do and he says um, of course I never offer him any football advice, that would be absolutely ludicrous. Oh yeah, 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 I know what you mean. But I didn't think we'd we'd hear from him at all. It was interesting that a lot of these guys that are on the board do seem to be a lot more involved with the coach than I would believe they were. Like we only saw Daniel Levy on the Spurs one. I can't imagine there's other members of the board that are sitting down and having conversations with Jose. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But it is in line with what we know about the Cronkies, in which they know that they don't know how to yeah. run a football team and they don't know how to run a sports team. And so they put in what they feel are the most qualified people to do it. And it was where I kind of had a level of sympathy before in that I could understand the thinking when you're bringing in Ralph Sanyehi and Sven Mislintat and all of these just they didn't know when it was going badly to be able to pull the trigger. And this time around, I guess if you're having some lot, someone like Tim Lewis to keep a closer eye on Edu, which I think was a big thing. And Richard Garlick is supposed to be kind of a in between Edu and uh, Vinay. But yeah, it, it, it just caught me a bit. I wouldn't expect a director to be having a conversation with Arteta about football, but there we go. I did think um, that also said to me I would be interested but also potentially worry for Arteta at another club only in that he seems to have 
the finger on the pulse and everything at this club. He seems to have a connection all over the place and basically has a sort of support network that I'm just not sure he will have anywhere else, frankly. No, the, the big thing was they put everything in place when Wenger left because he ran everything. And they almost gave Emery nothing where he wasn't even picking his own transfer targets. Mm. And so really the perfect ground was probably what they had with Arteta before. It just so happens that if there's one thing I've taken, Edu seems like a nice enough bloke, but I don't think he's very good at his job. And I think that's the reason Arteta has managed to work his way to this position just because he's trusted more than Edu is basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first leg then against Liverpool. Arteta says beforehand that we're speaking about the Aubameyang thing still, but he says he opens up to his players, and so in that moment he accepts that someday he will get hurt. <laughs> he was he was very much a girl of love at that point. <laughs> I struggle to open up, but when I do, I always yeah. get hurt by his voice. <laughs> um, but yeah, that famous nil nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting to me, and this is what I was going to reference on the last episode with um, Gabriel, but Arteta wasn't angry with Xhaka at all. Yeah, yeah, I was interested by that. They they have what appears to be a really strong relationship, those two. Yeah. And this does lead into a segment about Xhaka, but for someone where... This isn't his first offence. I can only surmise, and it's what we've kind of said before, that every other moment he's at the club when he's not being sent off, he's just the perfect professional. Yeah. And so he gets, he works so much credit up in the bank that when these things happen... (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's kind of a thing where at this point, you kind of acknowledge that it can happen when you put him out there. It can happen when you put him out on the pitch. Yeah, because they sh- they've shown a red card he's got. Prior they've shown that he's had four or, already in his career. They show the the Burnley one is where he puts his head in with someone. You've got the... Or actually, he puts his hand around his neck, doesn't he, the Burnley one? Yeah. The... City one, he gets sent off earlier in the season, and then the others are just for bad tackles as well. One of them is very harsh still to this day. One yeah, is where there's a cynical foul against Aston Villa, and he gets yeah, a red card. In this yeah. one, you, you get the idea that, that that's an unjust red card, right? And so I do think if you didn't know anything about this guy, you just go, "Oh, he's been pretty hard done by here," and they kind of set him up pretty brutally in Liverpool. One, okay, yeah, that's that's a red card because just before it, he's yeah. kind of gone like a. He had a very much something you've touched on just now, but I do think it's quite funny. It's going like they only see you out on the pitch. Like no one knows what I'm like personally. It's got yeah, I'm actually, you know, I love poetry, but no one talks about that. Everyone only talks about <laughs> me slamming into tackles and people. Yeah, that's the only thing we see, Gone. He he's done a big thing since his incident against Crystal Palace where he tells the fans to fuck off. And hmm. the message I've always got from him was that he was really trying to say, I care about this club so much more than a lot of these people you idolise. And I imagine he was probably looking at the likes of Ertzil 
And a lot of these players that have come Aubameyang, before them, yeah, that have, have just treated the club far worse than he feels he has. I think in his heart of hearts, he feels that every decision he's ever made has been in the best interest of the club. And I do think he has a genuine level of confusion as to why there is this animosity towards him. I always felt he does. He did that piece in the Players Tribune where he kind of acknowledges, I shouldn't have done this, but he never apologizes because he says, I would do it again if you saw the things that the people were saying and doing to me in the crowd. It wouldn't have got to that point if he had just ran off the pitch. It was the fact yeah. that he was walking off. But yeah. I do admire that about him, that he sticks by his decisions. And in this, yeah, he's done that previously where he said, look, we're human. He did a big thing that's come out in the press release of this where he said he wishes that once a week a number of fans could come and watch the players train mm. and just see what he's like and the lengths he's willing to go to and all of this because, again, he, he says, I've only got two years left on my contract here, but I don't know if that should be the end of my time here. I'm happy to just stay here and keep going and whatever. A scary thought, but... <laughs> I said last week, didn't I, that I read there was going to be an episode where someone said you'd change your opinion of Xhaka. I'm not too sure my opinion of him has changed, but I do feel in the last year I just understand him a lot more. Yeah, I think if you had a, a negative opinion of Xhaka, this, this document could change it a little bit. It's, it's pretty good for him. Um, keeping up with the Xhakas probably could be a thing. They did have to introduce <laughs> the family or whatever, but... Seems uh, some wholesome content. The uh, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you are right that I don't think anyone could doubt his commitment. Um, and normally, if a player's giving their all, then the fans will be happy with that, and kind of shortcomings will be forgiven because they can see how much you care. Well, that's what happened with Francis Coquelin, and I think that's a good comparison to make because Jacques levels above him technically, and people knew Coquelin's technical frailties the 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 plus point you had was that he was playing next to Santi Cazorla but he yeah. never really got any stick because people were like I can see that this guy is absolutely doing everything he can for this club I don't think it's unfair to fans to be pissed off with Xhaka with some no, of the no. red cards um, and I also think your thing of um, saying that uh, he's like genuinely confused by it. I think it's true. I, I thought that was pretty clear. But also, I think he... This seems ridiculously harsh for a player who obviously is a good player. I think he probably also thinks he's maybe just slightly better than he is and is probably baffled by why don't the fans... Why aren't the fans happy with my performance level? Well, I think that's been more than justified for them to be unhappy with it at times. I actually... I said before, I think last year was his best year. I think the best season for Arsenal. Um... But I think the fans are more than entitled to go. I think we can expect more, uh, better quality from you. Not more commitment, but a little bit more quality from you at times. Um, and I think there is a ceiling to how good he is or can be. And that will, until you replace him in your team, yeah. you will always be limited by very good, but not great, which is what I think Xhaka is. But I don't think that, would, and maybe it shouldn't, I don't think that ever enters his head. I don't think he believes that. And so you've, you've kind of got that dichotomy of, his ego is that it needs to be that high because he needs it. But then also you've probably got to realise your own limitations. There was the thing with Maguire recently, wasn't there? And I, they got battered in the game after he said this, but 
he essentially said, if I'm so bad, why does every manager I have pick me and have me in their starting 11? And I think he actually got dropped for that game. <laughs> but that must be a thing with Xhaka where he can make all of these mistakes. And if you keep putting the guy back in the team, then it's tough for him to believe that he really has these huge deficiencies because yep. clearly the coaches aren't telling him that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He He was originally signed to be a defensive midfielder and after his first red card, I remember Wenger doing an interview and you, you very rarely got the kind of technical detail from Wenger tactically in his interviews, but he he referenced it at the time and he said afterwards, I think shortly after he retired, he covered one of our games and he put it bluntly and said that some players shouldn't tackle. Yeah, And yeah, Granit Xhaka doesn't know how to tackle. And he says you can only do so much teaching, but some players you just should not, you should not put them in a position to where they're expected to do this. So you shouldn't have Xhaka at the base of your midfield, which he points out. <laughs> and I will say the trailer makers did him fairly dirty in the way they cut it together with him putting his hands up going, I take the blame smug, smugly grinning after yeah. showing his red card in the trailer yeah. when he's quite clearly joking um, but I guess there is a point to him saying, "Why am I in that situation?" And well, that went. that bit of blaming Saka for his red was hilarious, and as a genuinely human moment, yeah. and probably the funniest of I think the episode so far. I was genuinely like self-deprecating on his part. He knew what he was saying was ironic. But there was probably also something to it. Like, <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Uh, and, you know, when he signs it off with, so maybe you can just say thank you, Granite, for once, as he <laughs> yeah. walks out. I thought, it was genuine. And if you, you said, you know, about being charmed by it, that was, I think I love seeing that from players. I love seeing that sort of humour. Yeah, I think. In, in a world where they all take themselves very seriously, I, I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, because there's a moment where Saka looks like he genuinely is a bit taken back. Because <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> he hears yeah. it from across the gym, doesn't he? Where he's like, well, you know, you know who's to blame, don't you? His <laughs> <laughs> points at Saka. Um, but that that was, again, if you were going to blame someone, it would probably be Arteta because he built this system, didn't he, uh, that we were playing at the time where Tierney bombs forwards and then Xhaka tucks in as a left-back when we're in possession. And so any time... A lot of teams, but in that game, maybe don't. Yeah. And so that that is what happens. And mm. yeah, he jumps up and yeah, as you say, he points out, look, he scores if I don't do that. So <laughs> thank me later. Yeah, it was excellent for him. Gotta say, he's, he's done well with his wife as well. How a couple. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say he asked to have his family in it, but I do think if I was going to do a PR campaign for Granite Xhaka. I would drive <laughs> home. This guy's a family man. This guy cares about the club. And I think they tick just about every box in that. And throughout last season, I did feel myself warming to him more than I ever have. Um, and after the Palace game, I remember coming on here and I was still raging from the Saturday. And it was after the Newcastle game when I should have been hating every single player on the pitch. And I remember he did that interview where he said, look, I don't care about how old you are. If you're not, if you can't get yourself up for this game, then stay at home, which I thought everyone agreed with. 
and then it was Gary Neville took it really. He just wanted to call him an idiot, basically. Yeah. And he was oozy digging out there because he's had his issue. Was, he clearly wasn't saying that. He included himself in the criticism. Yeah. And so the moments like that, because it does feel like Granite Xhaka is judged in a lot of situations to a different standard than a lot of other players are. And I went through them last week. I can look at Mane, Son, players who could have this list of red cards if referees mm. took them as seriously as they did every Xhaka one. Now, I'm not saying Xhaka's unlucky to have a reputation as a player that makes mistakes, but I'm just saying there's others that do it as well. Um, and so when you see the kind of cheap shots taken like that, it does warm you towards your own player. And I've no doubt the coaching staff at Arsenal are clearly in love with him. And you can see that by the urgency in which they're chasing a central midfielder this summer. And they aren't, it seems. So yeah. they've got the trust the in yes. Granite Shaka to do it again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's probably true. Um, we then have uh, the combination of deadline day and this training camp in Dubai. Rob Holding starts this off saying that they have no idea about the moves that are taking place until a message is dropped in their group chat. I I find that hard to believe. Now, as a player, it probably is in your best interest to tune out all of the gossip. But I've got to think, you know that someone's moving before it literally gets to that moment. Do you think how many rumours we get wind of? How as a player do you not? I guess. And surely at least and one then if you, person. If they're your mate, they'll probably go, oh, by the way, it looks like I'm off to or whatever. Well, even if you take us as a podcast, I love all the transfer rumours. You ultimately stay out of it for the most part until we get there. Connor loves it all. Sean's somewhere in between. So I've got to think in a, in a squad of 20 plus players, and then you include the backroom staff in that as well. Someone in there is bringing in the rumour that <laughs> yeah. Aubameyang's linked with Barcelona or Pablo Mario might be getting loaned out or even, oh, Rob, are you off to Newcastle? Because we've heard you might be off to Newcastle. Yeah. And all of these yeah, yeah. things, I can imagine can imagine the English lads particularly because we have that real culture over here in the deadline day and Sky Sports News and all of that. Mm. I've got to think that that spreads, that spreads around the training camp as well. Yeah, I imagine that if we get excited by deadline day, then actually kind of being a professional who's in the industry, you must have a bit of it as well. You must do. But that's yeah. sort of, that juxtaposition of him saying that you don't really know and then them showing like uh, Murray going out with the bin bags. I thought that's a brutal, <laughs> yeah. that's a brutal cut. Send him out with some bin bags. Like, Could have been nice about it. the club on his way out either. <laughs> yeah, they it still is mental to me that I think we played what like Sutton in the FA cup and maybe like wolves at home or something. And he hadn't conceded a goal in two games and people were like this guy, you know, <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know why he's done this. And then you looked at his career and it was like city had him on the books for about six years. He then went to play in Brazil and he's been stuck in Brazil. He had a stint in La Liga where he couldn't play games. It was like, I've got to say, we hear some stories. I'm not sure everyone involved has missed this, has missed this guy, and he's just this gem that we found at 28 years old. No, it turns out it's a good agent. Yeah, it ended uh, the same way we probably assumed it would. 
great head of hair though. So add that oh, to uh, him, Shaka, Arteta. Got that in the team at least. Something that Arteta references while they're on this Dubai trip is he's speaking to the physio, I think it might be at this point, or maybe um, Steve Round. And he gets quite angry. And he references the last 10 years and everything that people have been able to get away with um, and what's happened to Arsenal in that time while players have just had the free reign and gives an inkling as to why he does drive the team the way that he does. And I remember there was a lot and 10 years would have been right towards his, the end of his time at Arsenal. But I remember a big thing that he was a real leader in the dressing room and he did tell people if they weren't pulling their weight and I bet he did. Took, could, put, took himself to himself. And I know that he arranged for the players to take a pay cut when they needed to. Um, and I think it was after, I think what the pay cut would have been for, but he arranged basically for the players to take a pay cut. I can't think what it would have been for at the time. We fed him to qualify for the Champions League. I don't think that would have been him, though. I think he'd have left by that point. Because his last game, he he scores in one of the games in which we get Champions League. Is he not there right at the, the end of Vengers? No, he'd have just he'd been gone by that he's, Yeah, he's before. But yeah, so. he arranges a pay cut for something. But I know Bellerin was saying that there were some players that weren't prepared to take it. And but after speaking to Arteta... They were taking one. Mm. And so I think he probably saw what players got away with when he was there. He always remarks about the time he was on the Man City bench and they played us and they battered us just before he joined. And he couldn't believe the levels of some of the players and what they were getting away with in terms of just walking around the pitch. And so I guess he stayed true to his word straight from that first press conference in that he isn't going to let people get away with this. And it looks like it is just something that really does get under his skin. Yeah, yeah. I think that whole, the entire sliding in standards of Arsenal right at the end of Vegas time, I think has coloured um, Arteta's entire perception on this and how he's he's got to keep control of it. Um, I thought this really did it was basically a constant shot at Aubameyang. And I thought he really did sort of fill in the blanks for us that this isn't just a, look, I've made some non-negotiables and I can't go back on it. I don't really have to do this to this guy, but this is done. I think he is genuinely pissed off with him. Yeah. And I think that comes across. When you look at that, um, when he's in the camera, they go to him about it and he goes, well, I looked in his eyes and saw what I saw, that the trust was gone. I thought that's a deep cut. Well, that's yeah. a pretty deep cut, and I thought this guy is seriously pissed off. Like you said in, in the conversation with Physio, that definitely comes across. And in public, he's keeping a, a lid on it really well, but he's sort of uh, bubbling under the surface there. He he says, doesn't he? he says, um, I think I'm comfortable with the fact that I was not the problem, but I was the solution. Yeah, yeah. And I think even if what he says in the the previous episode, in terms of um, the sacrifices or the compromises that he made maybe he looks back on some things that he would usually have pulled Aubameyang up on and he's angry at himself for allowing it. And so yeah. he probably feels like he's been made a bit of a fool of. 100% you would, wouldn't you? Because if you've relaxed your rules, even just slightly for someone, and then they've taken the piss, then that's you're going to feel like the fool. 
Yeah. And the 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 end of this episode is really dominated by getting this Abamyang deal over the line. Mm. <laughs> Edu finds out via the press officer that Abamyang is in Barcelona signing pictures after coming out of the airport while he's supposed to be in training. They seem remarkably relaxed about this. <laughs> yeah. They should be going mad. And then they're just like, oh, is he? Oh, okay. When he calls he calls the agent. That's up. what I meant when I said I thought we got a little bit more than I expected. I didn't think we'd get something like no. that, which I thought that was quite fun. When he calls up the agent, because he says that's the first thing he does, I couldn't believe how amateurish the whole thing sounded. Yeah, yeah. Because I imagine what is referred to is they've offered Abamyang a contract termination at this point, which he's not accepted. And because his agent says, oh, so you want us to send another offer then, do you? And Edu says, yes, but I should make you aware that the last one was very far away from what we were thinking. Mm. But just, we talk about the amount of power that the agent has and I think something that we're seeing more and more is ultimately the club doesn't do too much of the initial negotiations. You leave it to the agent, they go to the club and basically say, how much would you accept for player X? And then they bring that to the buying club and say, look, they say they're willing to take this much. Now it's down to you to make a bid. Because they say right up until the end that Barca hadn't even made an offer till deadline day, yet they're talking about Barca from a week before. Mm. I thought the, the whole negotiations were... I, I know you didn't have much hand, but I thought they were pathetic. Yeah, ultimately, they get some... So the deal is basically they pay Aubameyang's wages for the end of that season, but terminate his contract. Mm. And then Barcelona sign him as a free agent, which I think the representative from Barcelona, and I don't know if they were aware they were being filmed. He even says something along the lines of, um, I understand that's not a good deal for you. He says something like that. Doesn't he tell them you've got a great deal there? And I was like, this is not a great deal. (laughs) I think this is like rubbing salt in the wound. This guy's 10 years actually a great deal. Yeah, the cheek of Barcelona even still. I remember saying at the time, the contract they offered him was like, you can give this guy a three-year deal. <laughs> and now we see. But they didn't show us anything about transfer incomings. Now, the other documentaries we had, what, Dan James on the Leeds one, we had Van Dijk on the Man City one. Mm. I didn't really think Arsenal were going to allow us to see that side of things. But either the Vlahovic thing wasn't as big as we were led to believe it was. But I know Arsenal went in for um, Nico Schlotterbeck, who's just joined Dortmund as well. Mm. So there there was some activity in January. Just... I mean, if, if this was anything to go by, I'm sure Edu and Garlic don't exactly cover themselves in glory. <laughs> so they've probably made no. sure this isn't in. They, uh, I do think this was, I thought... Um, an example of where it's, it's a bit of a puff piece for the club. Yeah, like you said, they don't really even talk about the idea of incomings and it's kind of like, no, no, we were never in for anyone even though, as you said, as you've said, that isn't quite the case. Look at the City one, we basically watched the whole Laporte deal happen, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Garlic um, comes with a glowing reputation, by the way. I'm sure. I'm sure. I think, I think he's like 
Edu where his reputation is how well he deals with the other teams in the Premier League and that we should be able to do deals with them. And just, I think maybe they thought they could buy some favour with the Premier League. Oh, that sounds pretty stupid, but yeah. even just getting a footy in the door that Arsenal haven't had previously, I don't know. I'm sure there was a lot more that went into it and I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't see, but I don't know. Do, do no we believe that... to that position without having some sort of reference where people are like, he's great, but yeah. it's, I thought he was looking to defer to Edu, who was looking to defer himself. So it's like, who's making the decisions here? Do we believe that the deal came down and the paperwork was filed at 10.59 or was that for TV? I think that may have been for TV. <laughs> if It's a bad look if it, if it wasn't. Yeah, although I do think it was an interesting thing with uh, the termination of a contract, obviously having to get the lawyers involved with that, I thought probably does add um, a time period to deals that we probably don't tend to uh, consider. Having said that, most clubs yeah. don't have to end up terminating those contracts <laughs> yeah. like Arsenal do. Yeah. Um, and then we end the episode with Wolves away. If I thought the Gabriel red card at City irritated me, the Martinelli one at Wolves irritated me <laughs> so much more. Watching back that. Oh. Just because I just know that's never, ever, ever going to happen again. And it's just it was just Michael Oliver just fancied being the star of the show that week. Yeah, I'd forgotten how mad that was. Well, I knew there was a red card in the game. And as I was watching, I was thinking, who was it? Who was it? And then I saw Martinelli on screen. Oh, my God, I just remember what it is. Because we're not long before, a couple of weeks before we had it where someone had got a red card literally within seconds, as in I did a foul, free kick, did another foul, sent off. And when I first saw the headline of Martin Elliott, everyone was like, oh, this never happens. I was like, what do you mean? This happened a week or two ago. And then I literally saw it within the same phase of play. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Wasn't that Wolves against Man City? Was it Jimenez? That Nevers? Jimenez, yeah, I think Jimenez. Jimenez, right. yeah, because I, I yes. was. It, it was the day of the yes. Arsenal Southampton game. That's it, yeah, spot on. Because he he doesn't get out of the way for a free kick the second time around or something. Yeah, I'm thinking, fucking hell, that's a bit harsh. He must have minded anyone. So. Uh, Ramsdale was doing the boing boing in front of their fans, and <laughs> it's referenced in the next episode. There was the big thing, and this is the first time we really get an indication of the. They celebrated that like they won the league. Yeah, yeah. After seeing them banging on the dressing room wall, <laughs> celebrating <laughs> after the game, I thought, okay, maybe it wasn't just about what we saw on the pitch. <laughs> At the same time, if the Wolves players are going to act like shithouses all game, then they probably are going to get it back afterwards, and that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's the deal we're entering to. The, the, the last thing on that, there is uh, a tactic board in the Wolves game where you've just seen the letters, uh, the words, this is us on there. <laughs> and they didn't really hone in on what Arteta had done on this one. And I thought, I think they've done Mikel a favour there because this one <laughs> might be as bad. Might be the worst of the lot. Well, I mean, that ends the episode. It was really, I think, to give us an indication into how things went at the deadline. I think we got some insight. Maybe not too I much, thought... but I probably... I think maybe if they showed us the inner workings of a transfer, that may actually get quite boring pretty quickly. I think that would be good insight, but I, don't, I didn't expect it from the club no. at all. And I think the club, certainly in this episode, I thought did a very effective job of 
we were the good guys, Aubameyang is the bad guy <laughs> scenario, and we made him look. The only thing being those repeated things of him training on his own, I thought, one, I thought that must be really weird, and two, I thought you'll probably make him a bit more of a sympathetic character here. Uh, but other only, than that, it was very much a, God, this guy's a total wreck, and we've got to get him out. The only thing I don't think we'd mentioned was, one, that they had the discussion with the lawyers about whether it was fair to make him train on his own, and secondly, that Arteta references several times that he has a dossier prepared yes. for every incident with dates and times with Aubameyang. And I've got to say, if people thought it was maybe harsh for Aubameyang, when you have to keep a book of all of the issues you've had with a player... That was the moment to me where I realised, OK, we've they've obviously had quite a few issues here that is probably a little bit beyond what we think because, like you said, he's keeping a written record. Having said that, that is like the ultimate employee kicks off at their manager thinking they yeah. can get one over on them. They go to HR and the manager's got a dossier on them. <laughs> oh, you bastard, you played me. It also says to me that, as we expected, there wasn't one significant thing because yeah. you would just everyone around would reference the one thing Instead, it probably is just a lot of misdemeanors and so Sorting up procedure. It's quite surprising that he actually got away with it for that long. I believe Edu and him referred to it as a catalogue of misdemeanors, I believe. Yeah. So. Do you think Arteta felt they were going to get someone in January? And maybe that was why there was the timing because it he kicks them out of the team right around Christmas. That if, good I point, was, maybe. if I was a tactician there, I would say, look, get him out now and then we can get him out in January and I can get someone in. It's true, but in which case you'd think he'd probably have a bit more, he'd probably push a little bit more upward pressure on them to uh, look, look, get someone in for me. I don't really get that impression, but no, I do get no. the impression he's definitely sort of as much as he can kind of saying to them, look, I don't want this guy, he's got to go. And they're trying to ignore the fact that Arteta is saying this for yeah. the longest time until they, they can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. 